what most white people in this country feel. I can only include what they feel from the state of their institutions. Now, this is the evidence. You want me to make an act of faith, risking myself, my wife, my woman, my sister, my children, on some idealism which you assure me exists in America, which I have never seen. Welcome back to another episode of Black History for White People, a podcast where we educate, resource, and challenge white people about black history. I'm Brad, and on today's show are my co-hosts Katina and Garen. Today's episode is race and evangelicalism. We are joined by Adam Thomason. He has spoken in over 15 countries. He has a doctoral of education, a master's in biblical studies, a BFA from Savannah College of Arts and Design. He's got a new book, Permission to be Black, My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus, that comes out in February of next year. He's the author of Red Revolution, a study on race relations and what Jesus would say. And in this conversation, we walk through his story and we cover a bunch of things within the realm of colonialism and Christianity. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Before we jump into the interview, I wanted to take just a minute to define three terms that you'll be hearing so that everyone is up to speed and on the same page. The three terms are decolonization, diaspora, and Yeshua. Decolonization is the idea of winding back colonialism. That could mean setting countries free from the empire that holds power over them, but colonialism in that sense pretty much ended back in the 60s, with a few notable exceptions like Puerto Rico. But decolonization goes beyond just the literal ending of colonialism. It also speaks to uprooting and unwinding the tangle of philosophical ideals that led to and supported colonialism in the first place. Ideas like white supremacy and Western cultural superiority still exist and remain even beyond the actual ending of an empire. The next term you'll hear is diaspora. The term is actually a biblical term, originally referring to the Israelites having been scattered throughout the nations. It is also used of the similar experience of black people, millions of whom were kidnapped and scattered throughout the nations. There are today about 100 million black people living outside of Africa, most of whom are descendants of people who were kidnapped and enslaved. Finally, I wanted to define the term, or really it's a name, Yeshua HaMashiach. Adam refers to Jesus by his Hebrew name, Yeshua, as opposed to Jesus, which is the English translation of Jesus' name. Using Jesus' original name is just one way that Adam is deliberately trying to unwind some of the Western lenses that have warped how we see Jesus and his ministry. With that, here's the interview. Okay, so Adam, like, brother, first of all, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast Um, We know that you're a busy man doing a lot of things. I follow you. All of us follow you and your uh, beautiful wife. The first thing I always want to ask when um, we have specifically African-American, like black and brown guests is like, who are you? Because a lot of times people, you know, they only see us as, as the, you know, Uh, like as an agenda or talking points. And they don't know, they don't even think about the fact that they're dealing with a human soul. So who who is Adam is what I want to know first. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, Without being long-winded, I would say Adam is very complex. You know, without, uh, it goes without saying what I think it needs to be said. I'm an African-American male, I do say of the diaspora, who was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, roots from Alabama, 
in South Carolina. And that's important because even even as I'll say that as a conversation that I had with a guy in South Africa, even as I speak in this English, what we call it, mm-hmm. that shows you the colonization that has happened to myself. My name is Adam. It should be Adam. Mm-hmm. They gave me a South African name, Lunkile, which means the wise one. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of things people don't realize that for African-Americans, specifically of the diaspora, our names, our speech, even when I, when I speak the language of Tulsa, like there's, there's efforts that I have to put forth that shows how colonized we were. And, and I'm not even talking about religion. I'm just talking about us as people. Man. So um, Adam is steadily trying to get back to who God made him to be mm. before the colonization while laying hold to the mercy and the joy of following Yeshua and his teaching. That's, that's the best way I can put it. Well, and it's a trip because it's like... Um while knowing that God placed you in the timeline, um, like via, like while, with colonization, like in your in your blood, it, it's it's really crazy to think about. Like, you know, He's basically calling you to be in a space, <clears throat> not of a space, and outside a space, <laughs> while you know it uh, literally like undoing the work of white supremacy and. Um, decolonizing your faith and your just your person, it's like it's nuts because it's like it's every every you got so much pumping through your veins, and it's it's nuts. Right. But yeah, no, I appreciate that answer. Um, yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit more about your journey and path to undoing the work of white supremacy and colonization in your life. Yeah. So it has definitely been a journey. Still a journey. Um, I would say, you know, being, being, uh, I would say I was fortunate to grow up in Detroit, Michigan. As crazy as it was, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Mm. That's when Detroit was most pro-black. The, the riot in 1967 had uh, fractured the city. So the famous 8 Mile, living above North 8, uh, North 8 Mile, is where you had most majority white, white flight had already uh, taken shape. Mm-hmm. And then at that time, I think we were 96% African-American. And so we lived below eight miles. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that was the time if, if, if you know, listeners, you, I remember starter jackets and Jordans, people getting <laughs> jumped and Jackson starter jackets, you know, Wu-Tang Clan, Timberland boots. So it was, it was hot in the city. Yeah. You know, um, the black nation of Islam was founded there in Malcolm X spoke a lot there, marches, civil rights. So that just gives you a framework of what I grew up in. So I was a very pro and pl- proud black coming out of Detroit. So when I graduated high school in 1998, I got launched into the South in Savannah, Georgia. Yeah. And that's kind of when the when things changed in the world opened up because when you, when you grew up in a black space, black church, um, you know, good and bad, but black church, all you know is your identity to be proud. You don't know about racism. Yeah. You know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't know about classism. Um, so when you get to the South, you're like, oh, y- y'all, people don't intermarry because of the skin and Christianity? That's a thing? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't things you had to think of. So yeah. you're like, oh, oh, you could be an elder and racist here? 
Yep. Mm. And, like, a, and, like a it, 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 <laughs> and a deacon. So these are things, like, hear me out on this, you know, these were things that were, they were baffling. They, I wasn't even angry at first. I was confused because I go, it's, it's like trying to call red blue. Like, they're not even close right. to the same color. Right. Right? And then you look around, you're like, oh, are y'all cool with this? Okay. You know? Yeah. So that the, the, the first thing in my journey was realizing that tradition can supersede what God has clearly said about we should live with each other. Mm-hmm. And then everybody is okay with that. So that was probably my first taste of evangelicalism when I was 17. You know, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design. Yeah. That was a very uh, expensive, prestigious school. I got a scholarship. Most people paid out of pocket. I didn't grow up with much. So now I'm, I'm culturally, I'm seeing the upper echelon of society. I got friends who own islands in the Bahamas and plains and stuff like that. And I grew up around people who got car notes for Buick Regal. I was in the fashion industry and then I took off from the fashion because it, it was wild. And I was like, where can I go that's not the fashion industry? Mm. Denton, Texas. <laughs> so that's. <laughs> Right. That's what led me to Denton, Texas in 2003. <laughs> Man. Uh, yeah. So that, and that's when I got, then you get into the Bible subculture, right? And then slowly you get into the reform subculture. So this is when I started taking these journeys. All the while, I'm still a creative, still thinking like it wasn't cool for, you know, art and uh, Christianity mix at this time. You know, yeah. so what you see now in, you know, 2000, let's just say 2000, you know, 14, 15, 16, up to the present, that wasn't happening back in 2003. Like, if you really loved the Lord, it was pastor, you know, missionary, worship leader, and you got to give up your art, your filmmaking. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Sports. Like, there were contracts I didn't even take overseas because it was said to me, you know, this is the real ministry. Like, it ain't nobody in the sports world. That needs to know about them. I mean, this, I'm telling y'all, this, this is a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's crazy because I can definitely, there's parallels. I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. And so, okay, Memphis, so. yeah, Memphis has a similar history to Detroit um, in, in a lot of ways. And then Memphis, of course, became um, a mostly black. Um, and then, you know, so it was like, even though I existed in white spaces, I existed in that predominantly black spaces. And so it's just, you know, and being black Southern, church going, you know, patriarchy. Like, it, it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And then you move to Denton and it's like extreme culture shock because mm-hmm. I came, mm-hmm. you know, to go to school here. So I, and then you fall into white evangelicalism mm-hmm. and then your mm-hmm. existence is completely like, Challenge like you're conflicted on every side because everything mm-hmm. that's Christian is presented to be like basically is is presented through a white lens even in some black spaces. So right. Come talk on about now. that, bro. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's a good that's a good segue. Yeah. So the the church I grew up in again, it's good and bad. I won't say anything is utopian, yeah. but the church I grew up in. They were very extreme. So I would say cult. I don't know, but they didn't. They they wanted you to follow whatever the guy, the man of God said. Like you couldn't read the scriptures for yourself. He interpreted everything. You know, I call it black Roman Catholicism. Was it ca- uh, uh, Kojic Pentecostal? 
was a, it was apostolic. So apostolic. Like, I, so, yeah, yeah. So that's the most potent one. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> right. yeah. Uh, you know, tongues under salvation. Like, still, if you don't speak in tongues, you you will go to hell. That that was right. that was told to me at the age of ten. So oh yeah, that that's extremely what I when I grew up in. So when I went to the south, and my friend Brian Buck at the age of seventeen gave me the Bible, the NIV Bible, and he's like, "Yo, you can read it for yourself." In my head, I go, "You can't do that Cause again, because this is how I grew up." Right. And then when I started to actually read the scriptures, I, it was just I devoured it cover to cover. Again, I'm not a Bible Belt guy. Right. So for me, when that was given to me, it was such a life-giving thing. You also take in everything else that you feel is associated with it. Because you're like, well, they gave me this good thing. Well, I guess I got to cut my hair. Absolutely. Because it's attached to this good thing. You see what I'm saying? I guess I got to wear my pants. I guess I... Right. And then, and, and this is, I'm going to go current, and then it's hindsight 2020. But currently, in the past three years, I realized even the translations that they gave oh, yeah. were, you see what I'm saying, were, I use the term toward a gentrified oh, yeah. translation. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by gentrified is, if you, uh, if you go specifically to when Constantine was hell-bent on persecuting the Jewishness out of the scriptures, the translations followed as well. So when when Christ in the New Testament, when Paul in his epistles, when the when the actual translation, well the transliteration into the translation says um the Torah or the Tanakh, right? Well they gentrified that out and translated to just the word of God. That's yeah. not that that makes a difference. Yep. Right? So so if it says they studied the word of God and not the Torah or the Tanakh. Well, you got Christian believers like, yeah, you don't need the Torah to talk. You don't need the Old Testament. Why? Because they said they just studied the Word of God. But then I philosophically, I ask people, I go, if they studied the Word of God and they didn't have the New Testament, then what do they study? The Torah and the Tanakh. But if you put Torah and Tanakh, it makes it more clear to people. So that's when I started to realize. I'm like, yo, y'all even giving me a slant for the Constantinian Christianity that's given me a Jesus that's not even a Jewish Jesus. Right. You see what I'm saying? And so even, even those things became alarming. And then as I started to uncover those, slowly but surely in God's grace, I'm like, yo, it's, it's, it's a way different relationship that I have. And I'll, I'll say this little tidbit. I'll say this to anybody, right? I'll say if you if you are atheist listening, um, if you are hetero, homosexual listening, agnostic, if you are someone who say you claim to follow Christ, I will say this, and I'll stand on this. There is yet to be one society that has eroded when they actually practice. I ain't talking about teaching. Come on. I'm talking about practice the teachings of Yeshua. Mm-hmm. I argue I argue that when you see people say they are following Yeshua, yeah. they're misappropriating his teaching. Right? Yeah. But you cannot tell me a person who actually practices sacrifice, practices forgiveness, practices humility, practices the 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 anger of man doesn't accomplish the right the righteousness of God, who practices meekness, who practices praying for your enemy, who practices not taking out vengeance. Now, you show me a society 
who does that, I'll show you a society of peace that people transform. Yeah, that's good. So um, I love that you're using um, the name Yeshua Hamashiach. I love that. Yep. Um, I actually was a member for six years of a very, very small church in Den County that the pa and the pastor was Messianic. Um, oh, nice. He's a Messianic Jew. So that's where my, like, decolonization <laughs> mm, uh, began. But I want to talk okay. a little bit about, so just as, an, as a black person, because I need, I need white people to understand, yeah. like, our process of faith. So a lot of mm -hmm. black people... You know, we get indoctrinated. And, and when you talk about translations, like so much to unpack. So when you talk about <laughs> translations, bro, it's like yeah. people, peop, you know, we got churches still talking about Jonathan Edwards and heralding mm -hmm. these, you mm -hmm. know, men who had slaves mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and condoned mm -hmm. like the breeding of black women and the mm -hmm. assault on our bodies. Mm -hmm. They're lifting mm -hmm. them up in their sermons, in their mm -hmm. churches, mm -hmm. with their black members mm -hmm. right there, and mm -hmm. making excuses mm -hmm. and concessions and saying stuff like, you know, well, you know, our our, our Christian leaders can't be um, perfect, but then we do have yeah. um, people, white people, people, you know, of all races and ethnicities that, like, that are challenging the status quo in the mainstream... Um, ideologies of the day, including speaking adamantly against racism, against kidnapping mm -hmm. people. And those people don't mm -hmm. get as much, you know, as, a t as much attention. It's like yeah. we have to deal with the fact that there is a translation issue. We, yeah. we are not throwing away the whole scripture, but we're saying yeah. that we need to look at the scripture holistically and we need to consider translation um, yes, and, yes, and, you know, yes. we hear people say, you know, what well, the Bible can't be true because, you know, King James, da, 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 da. And it's like, yes. I feel like there's a partial truth in that, in that we know the Bible is true, but it's like yes. we need to decolonize our lens. Like, so you talk about that piece, but then yes. as a black person who has mm -hmm. colonized, you know, colonization um, and diaspora, like pumping through their body <laughs> in their mm -hmm. DNA, it's mm -hmm. like, okay, how do I say this? It's like a lot of times us black people who have found ourselves in white spaces, yeah. it's because there's been some type of ab abuse within our own mm -hmm. like cultural um, Christian experience. Whether mm -hmm. it's been, mm -hmm. and, and this is what mm -hmm. I'm finding, whether it's been some form of legalism, where, whether mm -hmm. there was some type of abuse. And again, mm -hmm. there are black churches, a lot of African-American churches, they buy into white supremacy and practice white supremacy, not even fully aware that a lot of their traditions are rooted in um, assimilation and white mm -hmm. supremacy. So you right. got these black people like us who, you know, come from some backgrounds where we're trying to find, you know, mm -hmm. seek the answers. We end up, because everybody, everybody's pushing the black folks forward. Everybody's pushing us black kids forward. You know, you got to get out of here. You got to, you know, you got to save the race. You got to move forward. You got to go to college. You got to go basically where we don't exist and where we are not affirmed because you're doing it for the team. And then we get, mm -hmm. we get, we get you know, pulled in mm -hmm. 
And then there's mm-hmm. this process of where we're buying into white supremacy. And then there's mm-hmm. this process of it's like, well, dang. So talk about <laughs> talk about all of mm-hmm. those points, um, yeah. because you got a lot of black folks who are hurting right now yeah. because they feel like, you know, they're singing a, 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 a song in a strange land and they're yeah. in white spaces where they're getting, you know, abused by white people yeah. after they bought yeah. into the fact that they, they bought into white people being like their their form of Christianity being better. Like there's yeah. so man, there's just so much to unpack there. Angry. <laughs> man, it's it's yeah, real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, nah, it, it's a lot. So for me, I would say it's a definitely seventeen year journey of freedom. Yeah, and that's really why I wrote, wrote I wrote the book that I released in uh, this this uh, audio form called Confessions of an Ex Evangelical Why I Love Christianity yes. and Start Practicing. Jesus. I love that book. So, by the way. but thank you. That, that those are the breadcrumbs, but. Here's what I would say. Um, Carter G. Woodson, Miseducation of the Negro. We got to remember our miseducation started coming out the womb because there was so much trauma with our people. And and here's what I always argue. Uh, Black folks of the diaspora on American soil are the only ethnic group who didn't retain their language, mm. their name, and their land. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So yeah. so what people got to understand about us is that we're in a unique space here yeah. because with so much trauma, your parents and then your ancestors are asking a question, okay, how do you survive? We're, we're not talking about how, how do you live as a human. And that's what the listeners and people got to understand. This is not an old discussion we're having. At all. What we're talking about right now in 2020 is what Malcolm X tried to uplift, but he got gunned down because he said, I'm going to the United Nations to talk about human rights, not civil rights. Yeah. Civil rights assumes you see the person as human. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so we're so traumatized. We're fighting for civility. I go, we ain't, see- we're not seeing a human yet. Oh, wow. That's so, that's fast. We're not. Yeah. We're not seeing a human yet. And so here's the reason why I, I always meet up people. I go, you want my people to vote. Okay, we've been voting. Right. We've been voting for civil things. But let me tell you this. Once we vote and we voted, and y'all don't see what I said, we voted, policies has changed, but you only enact policies fairly for people you see human. Right. That's why we remain frustrated. That's why cats riot, because they, they don't have a language. They're like, yo, I'm just pissed off. Oh, I'm a pissed off. Is it is it because we can't vote? Well, we can vote. Yeah, can we go? Yeah, I can go to college. Yeah, I can. Ah, it's because they feel like we are still not seeing as human. Well, that's why, that's yeah. what it is. That's what people can't articulate. Yeah. Well, and Jonathan Price is is a prime example. <laughs> you know right, his story. Right. Uh-huh. He was basically helping yeah. a white couple, like a white woman. And when the police arrived, uh-huh. he was the hero, but the police killed him. And he yeah. was actually and, and we, yeah. he was bringing up the police, right? And he was a he was basically anti-black. This young man yeah. had so much, you know, social media posts about, you know. 
basically anti-blackness. He talked about his infinity for affinity for white women. He basically yeah. shot down Black Lives Matter. I mean, he and 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 the irony, and he's allowed to be where he is on where he was in his journey. If he would have li- lived the full span of his life, he he yeah. who knows where he he could end up. But he yeah. he died, you know, thinking that if you live by this certain set of rules that you would be okay. And now Black Lives Matter is holding his name up. Yeah, I mean, that, but that's, that's what I'm saying. I think one of the best books ever, it's, it's like my framework Bible, is Miseducation of a Negro, because yeah. he talks about that. Yeah. He talks about you're, you're trying to make it, and, and you're fed this narrative of, in order to make it from an early age. So the yeah. thing with Jonathan Price was, you don't just arrive at those reasons, right? In order to make it, what this is what we're taught. We're supposed to graduate from high school. We're supposed to get these undergrads, graduate degrees and masters and, and, and doctoral degrees. We're supposed to get all these. But again, no one's asking the question. Yeah. The system, and this is what Carter G. Wilson says, all your degrees are still in the European system. They're, yeah. they're not in a diverse system. They don't consider uh, world history, African history, Chinese history. They don't consider it. It's all a European framework. So they're literally downloading the European mind into you. So now even the way you do business is European. Absolutely. It, even, the way you, even the way you see real estate is European. He's saying that's the miseducated. And then what comes with that is a disdain from the place that you came from, the people you come from in a certain way. Yep. So to me, most, most, again, and that's why, that's why I said, going back to my initial point, you got to see it. African-Americans of the diaspora are a unique people group because no land, no language, no culture. What are you going to turn to? It, it, that's what Carter G. Wilson said. Yeah. By default, you're going to turn to the miseducation because you've been, your people have been so much in traumatic and survival mode. Now, you say, well, how do you raise about that? Well, the first thing you got you to realize is, what am I willing to forfeit to be my truest self? And yeah. a lot of black folks ain't willing to forfeit the white man's success and toys. Yeah, this is black skin, white mask. Friends for nine, who, who who they call him the French James Baldwin. He's saying the problem with a lot of black folks, they're convinced they can't be them full of self unless they have what the white man has, unless they have his degrees, his house. And I'll give it to you like this. I want to hear your thoughts. We're the only people group who celebrate things that are just natural human rights. And, and people say, well, "What do you mean by that?" Yeah, white folks don't celebrate. Uh, education. They don't have holidays for, yo, he's the first white man or the first white woman. To go. We, they, they don't do that. Right. We're the only ones because that's how tra- that's how traumatized we were. They were the first black couple to move and say never. White people don't do that. Right. Well, and you that's so interesting. Yeah, because it's like we're celebrating our assimilation. We're celebrating um, almost like a castration of, you know, we're 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 wanting to be accepted into your system, and so we're celebrating our first in a system that wasn't created for us. Makes complete exactly. sense. Exactly. And um, just yeah, and then that shows how much trauma it is. Exactly. Because why, are, why is our success built on measures that was that were built against us in the first place? Makes absolute exactly. sense. Exactly. It's, it's basic humanity. I tell people, yeah. just in a facetious standpoint, you'll know if somebody grew up in an abusive household if you're around a person that keeps saying, like, 
Y'all, yo, man, I'm just so thankful to breathe. You know, okay, cool. I see yeah. you. You a humble dude. You grateful. And they keep coming back to that. And then you may ask the question, yo, what happened to you? But you understand, my dad used to choke me all every day to the point of passing out. Right. You're like, oh, that's not normal. Right. That's why you thankful to breathe. But that's how we are with education, cars, houses. We're celebrating breathing. We have holidays for breathing. I'm using that term metaphorically. Juneteenth. Yep. Do you see what I'm saying? I, yep. Listen to me. Y'all, I'm like, I am not going to celebrate this holiday that essentially says, like, ah, we, we had to eventually let the white, the black folks know that they were free. And here's another point on that while, while I'm on my, my soapbox. <laughs> Here, here's what frustrates me about even the celebration of, like, emancipation and how it's celebrated. If right now I had dogs, and I just set them free. Y'all can go Google this. And I just set them free. If I just let the dogs, if I open my front door and let these dogs out into the wild, I would get brought up on charges. These are real laws. I would get brought up on charges. But yet, black folks were in slavery for centuries. They emancipated them. They didn't give them no land. They didn't teach them how to read. They didn't teach the laws. They literally had a meal for a lot of, opened the door and said bye. Yeah. And so you want me to celebrate that? No, there was there was no plan. These are the things that I that I want white folks, colonized black folks to understand. I go, you're not looking at the tangible, incendiary, vileness of what was done. So now you want a statue because you opened the front door and said, "Okay, go make a life for yourself now." Out of nothing, out of negative nothing, out of negative nothing, no understanding, no nothing. How about Y'all it? not hearing me. That's real. I, I read about this recently. Yeah. No, that's real. That's real. And just to give people a point of reference, um, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, African-American man, wrote The Miseducation of the Negro in 1933. So like Brother Adam is saying, like this stuff is not, none of this is new. Um, it's just how it's landing on our generation and that, We have been pushed forward. um, And it's like we're speaking with a voice of generations like we're we're, we've been pushed forward um, and we we're the first generation to truly be able to breathe. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, But then it's like mm -hmm. it's not enough that we're breathing. We're looking back over the generations of trauma um, and 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 just the infliction that our people have gone through. And it's like, okay. It, it, you know, we've been pushed forward so that we can do more than breathe. Like, you know, yeah. so that we can actually live, so that we can actually be human. Um, man, I, everything that you're saying absolutely resonates. And I know that for a lot of listeners, this is going to be so foreign to them because mm-hmm. that work that has to be done, you know, it it has to be done for black people. Like, black people have to undo that work, and so do white people. And you have said mm-hmm. so many <laughs> you've. You've hit on so many things. It's like so crazy, man. Hey, Adam. Man. So yeah, talk to me. I want to maybe maybe take a little bit of a turn here because yeah. I think my experience with most white people that either have, you know, we engage with in conversation is they, I mean, all, everything that you said, I agree with Katina. I'm like, let's go. I, like, you know, I'm full agreeance with you. I feel like most white listeners, our listeners, would just say, okay, well, I mean, you guys, 
you can vote. You can, you know, breathe. Mm. You can do these. You can go to college. You can, you know, you're, these things aren't, they're not like redlining is illegal now. So it's not even a thing. And so to a normal white person who, let's just say they mm. have a couple black and brown friends and, you know, they're living their American middle class lifestyle and it's like, and they're just thinking, okay, well, what, what is this? How does this even affect me? Like everything that you said, you know, is, is really great. But to an average white person, they're thinking like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't affect me. That why would, I don't need to change anything that I do. Like, can you, can you speak to that gap of like how that does affect white people and, and maybe you can help guide us. And when we have conversations with, with our white friends that are just kind of like, I don't want to say ignorant, but they're almost just like, they feel like they, like this doesn't have anything to do with them. They're not doing any Mm -hmm. of those things. And they're just living this passive life. How is, how are the things that you've been talking about? And it may be even things you haven't talked about yet, but like, how are those affecting these people that think that they're not being affected? Yeah, so I call it, I call it, um, you know, there's a white immunity. I think in the, the the definition of immunity means it doesn't affect you. Yeah. Right. Um, and so you don't have to be rich, even though privilege doesn't mean you're rich, but in the connotation, people associate riches to it. You don't have to be rich to be immune. Right. I'm six five. So I'm immune just in, in a statistical standpoint. I'm immune to what people uh, five, 10, specifically males, five, 10 and under go through when it comes to entering a room, when it comes to getting jobs, I play sports, play professional sports. So that gives me these, these immunities in certain circles that I benefit from. So when you go historically to America, I, I, if, if I got to argue with you to understand that when, when, a, when the revolutionary, uh, took the land, and broke away from the British that they were establishing a land to not be subjugated and to benefit white skin. Like the white skin could be immune to subjugation. It could be immune to hostile force. It could be immune to even considering the clothes you have to wear in certain situations. That's what immunity means is that you're right. You don't have to think about it. So it's like, well, how does this affect me? The fact that you say that shows that America did its job for white folks. That, that's the problem. The problem is you don't, it doesn't affect you, right? So, so from, so from my, my self and Katina, when we're in different, we're in certain spaces, it will cross our mind. Even if we're proud of ourselves, it will cross, my, cross our mind. Like, yo, if I go in this space, man, I got to wear my, my, my skinny pants. I got to wear my, my shoes with a cap toe. Yeah. I got to pull my hair back. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, white folks don't have to think about that. You can show up looking like Bill Gates with some bad New Balance corduroys. They're going to think you rich. You can you can just be mediocre. Yep. Whatever whatever you want to pull out the closet, you can pull out and put it on. That's immunity. Where, whether as for us, going back to your point, even though we can go to college, even though we can get cars, we can get houses. This is the point that you have to see and white folks have to see. There's always the looming reality, though, 
that my life can be taken from me because of how we've been depicted. Like, so when I'm driving, they're not looking like, yo, they, there's nothing floating above my head when I'm driving. If I have a hoodie or if I'm suited and booted, there's nothing floating above my head that says, you know what? Bachelor's, master's, doctoral level study. It doesn't say that. Right. They see skin and association. As long as you think that you have no responsibility, you are duped into a humanistic worldview in that humanity doesn't need to live interconnected. And I, and I that, that's just not from a Christian standpoint. I go, no one's the same. Nobody's the same size. Nobody's the same height. <laughs> so therefore, nobody's going to have the same brain. Nobody's going to be born with the same mobility. Some people are going to be able. Some people are going to be disabled. Some people are going to have sharp brains. Some people are going to have non-functioning brains. I'm just talking about in the naturalness. We're not talking about in achievement. So when you're convinced that everybody comes out the womb, metaphorically speaking, and being facetious, being the same height, sharp brain, able to achieve everything, I go, how humanistic have they duped you? No. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. when I look at myself, it's not even just a, 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 a Christian belief. I go, before I was even a Christian, I realized I was different and I need to use my mobility and my strength for others because I'm around actual people, Memphis, running the 5K for St. Jude. I'm around children. They didn't ask to be born with leukemia. Right. I have well kids. No, my well kids, you're going to you're gonna love on these kids because you could have been that kid. Absolutely. Do you understand what I'm saying? So yeah. it's those things to where I go, my gosh, we've been so duped. Well, and the scriptures constantly point to poor folks getting connected. I mean, the whole premise of the scriptures, like when the Hebrews were uh, free from slavery, God made provision uh, for people who were even less than they were. Um, and when he established them through Moses, he said, you know, uh, put food on the outskirts. He said, you know, don't treat people this way because that's how you were treated. treated. Remember the way that you were treated. Like he, when when God was freeing the Hebrews, he had other people in mind. When he sent um, Jonah to Nineveh, like when he sent, like when, when, when Jesus intentionally sought out the woman at the well, like when he, when he sought out the disenfranchised, when he, who it was God and, you know, didn't need to be, didn't have to be affiliated with anyone, he made every effort to seek out those who were disadvantaged. Um, And the whole premise of the, like the entire scripture is relational. The the entirety of the scripture is about loving and serving those who um, are in the margins, but it's been exploited and like you said, gentrified um, into like, Oh, we're, you know, we're this, this privileged people of God that we're going to fight for our privilege. We're going to fight for, Mm -hmm. you know, to make Starbucks say Merry Christmas and not happy holidays, and we're going to fight right, to not right. wear a mask, and we're going to fight to be able to have, you know, guns, um, and 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 we're gonna, you know, we're gonna give according to our own desires, and not what, mm-hmm. not give our all, like 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 yeah. like the woman with the two mites, 
Yeah, it's, yeah, I love everything that you're, you know, I mean, I feel like it's plain. I, I think many of our listeners might struggle a little bit, but that's going to be, you know, that's going to be on them because I feel like nah, I man. feel like you're making it plain, bro. So I ain't, I ain't talking out of theory, right? But it should. It should be a wrestle yeah. because I what I'm saying prophetically is questioning your identity. What I'm saying prophetically is questioning your, your identity and it questioned mine. When you come up, when you come up against the real thing, yeah. you should wrestle. Like, like, like I tell people, I go, don't confuse my passion for anger. I'm not angry. I'm not anger. I am all. zealous. Yes. And the word zealous is the word enthusiasm. So you, when you hear my tone the way it is, I'm so enthusiastic because I know this stuff is real. I'm just, you're talking to a guy who, where I go, I'm done trying to convince Mm. This traditional Mark 7 people, you raise up the tradition of man equal with the law of God. Thus, mm. you nullify the law of God. You're, li- you're living a nullified religion. It's not even a Christianity. Frederick Douglass said Christianity land, Christianity of Christ. But listen to me, y'all. When then, fast forward. If y'all remember the Mediterranean Sea crisis where they had the you know, African folks uh, workers going from Libya trying to cross the Mediterranean Sea. They're drowning in the sea. Families dying. You got doctors at our borders trying to pick, pick people up on boats. I covered that in a documentary. And when I get when I when I'm out there interviewing people, right? And I'm telling you, it was it, this was the second revelation. I'm interviewing people from Ghana, people from Nigeria, and they're telling me to my face, like, yeah, they forced us on these boats. We had nothing but date palms and powder milk and and they know they know that these boats are gonna are gonna sink and i go why'd you get on the boat they say we had no other option mm-hmm. what what else is there we could die where we are or we could take our chances at sea no we don't know how to navigate the sea but it don't know me in, in that in that setting do y'all know how much it costs to get a boat that can outfit medical Help these people and stuff like that. I looked it up. The average boat costs two hundred and fifty two hundred two hundred fifty three three hundred thousand dollars. This is stuff that I see people argue in churches over soundboards and light systems. Y'all not talking to me. So when I'm out here and I go, these people's lives are staking. You want to tell me that, hey man, we're about to gossip? No, you're not. You're you're about articulating what you think is yeah. true. But right now, this person doesn't even know you exist. How is it that you're, you're telling people you're changing the world and these people are dying by the yeah. thousands and oh, they don't yeah. even know you exist? That's the problem. But, yeah, you're going to go to your second lake house. Yeah, you're going to call a church meeting every day and you want to argue about carbon color. I go, it's not even close to what when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you, Come on. you, you came and bit me. Yeah. I, these, these are tangible things. So in my head, I go, I know people right now. We should go buy a boat right now. And I'm asking, well, how did y'all get rescued? Well, it was a group of eight people. They just put them, they would already know. They're just regular people. Put their money together. They bought these big rigs. This Come is on. what I'm talking about. Yes. You're talking about a person who I've seen how much money. I've seen it. I've seen numbers, y'all. I've seen the budgets that I've had. We've had so much money on some of these churches to where it's like, if you don't use it, you lose it. We, wow. I'm talking about places where I've served where they had, they have $200 million left over each year. Y'all not talking to me. Wow. I've seen this stuff. Hmm. And you telling me these people are dying at, they don't have to. I've been to the Venezuela border. You're talking, again, 
This is enthusiasm for God's people who are dying. The Venezuela border, where right now the average person in Venezuela is losing 33-plus pounds because of their dictatorial leader. But watch this. We're at the border doing these interviews. You know what they say? Like, hey, you go through the um, mountains, Bucaramanga, you go find families right now walking through the mountains trying to find food. These are This, this is a 300-mile trek that people are walking through the mountains to find food. In my head, I go, they're walking through. The, I mean, I've read this. I've read yeah. it. They say, go see it now. We drive, y'all, and I'm telling you, it, it's like something out of a script. You got people with luggage. You got mothers carrying babies, people in the rank. I'm talking about trying to go find food, and yet you want to tell me about go to this conference, find this document, because this person is solid or not solid? Wow, yeah, yeah. God damn that. No, listen to me. God damn that. As a prophet, God damn that. I don't, I don't ascribe to that. Amen, bruh. Amen. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. So, so you want you you want you want you want me to yo, well John Piper signed this doctor or Matt Taylor signed this and you know RC Sproul uh signed this or yada 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 sign this document. I go, a document ain't giving these people food. Come on. Hey, Come listen on, bruh. to me. Every person I've been, you ain't hearing from somebody who's just like uh humanitarian. These people know I love Yeshua. Because my my ass is there, and I am actually there tangibly to love them. It's twofold. Yeah, they say they say why did you show up? I go because I got because before the foundation of the earth, the Lord allowed me to have a great immune system, a strong body. He allowed me to be born in America for whatever reason to have resources, and I realized everybody doesn't have that. That puts me in the top five percent of the world, and I go I'm surveying the world. So. I searched out the cause of him who I did not know, and I broke the fangs of the wicked and made him drop the prey from the sea. See, Job even had a problem Come saying, God, on. I'm looking for the people I don't know. Sir. Mm. Okay, you're stirring Do some you stuff up. You are in really me. stirring so, some stuff up. <laughs> I, I think going back to the, the wording that Brad had uh, for, for white people, how does this affect me? Like, the thought that's coming to my mind is that that question or the thought that it doesn't affect me relies on the fundamental assumption for the white listener that their life is primarily about believing the right things and being comfortable. And in that sense, yeah, none of like the struggle of black life, the struggle of like the global picture of suffering, those don't really affect you if you think your life is primarily about being comfortable and believing the right things. Yeah, but, and that's your life is your life. Yeah, but the but I think the fundamental purpose of humanity is not to be comfortable and believe some right stuff. It's to love. And you are fundamentally not doing your single greatest central purpose if you're just like sitting there trying to believe the right things in your second home or on your lake boat and not loving like with all this need all over the world. Right. So here, here's the thing, to your point. If I spend time around all of y'all and y'all spend time around me, we always see things that God gave us as gifts that we need to turn outward to mm. love others. Mm. But here's, here's the problem with humanity. Humanism. Humanism says take those gifts, turn it inward, and just love yourself and create your own island. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. 
that's how we got to see it. So every time I look up in the morning, in the morning, I go, Lord, show me how I can use what you gave me to get someone out of oppression, to lift the yoke, the bond of slavery. I mean, that sounds familiar to what Yeshua said. The spirit is upon me what? Preach good news to the poor. That the captain is free. Yeah, yeah. Proclaim the favorable year of our Lord. Come on, brother. Like, literally, so when some, preach the so, whole sermon. So when, so, so, when, so when somebody says, like, it don't affect me, I, I from a humanistic standpoint, because I'm telling you, this this is not I, this is not just talking to Christians. I talked to one of, he's a good friend of mine. We talk, he, he lives in Kailicha. It's one of the poorest, they call it a township, but it's really a slum in South Africa. It's in Kaaba. We talked about this for six hours. And he could he could not understand why I will follow Yeshua. Like, I don't understand why a sharp guy like yourself will follow Yeshua. And so we, I started just hearing him out. And I go, ah, the six hours go, ah, I see, I see what the problem is. He goes, well, what's the problem? I go, you believe that the chef knife is created to murder people because all you've seen the knife used is for murder. I get it. But what if I told you that knife can actually create beautiful meals? Mm. He pauses. He goes, I've never seen that. I go, but what if I told you I could make a beautiful meal? Would you taste the meal? He says, I would. And that's where a lot of people are. They've mm. only seen the misapplication of the knife mm. following Yeshua. So I'm saying, but, but, but here's my question. Here is my question. Would you be willing to ask the question, what was the knife created for? And are you willing to see it rightly used in the hands of a great chef? Mm. Now, if you say, you know what, I'm too traumatized, I, I don't know, I get it. That's, that's why I think mercy comes in and that the, 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 the Lord's understanding supersedes our understanding. His ways are higher than ours. But you have to understand where people are coming from. This is good. So just, <laughs> just to take a minute to like uh, disrupt some of our Christian listeners who maybe have yeah. been raised in white Christianity have like seen the Bible with one particular lens the whole time through yeah. and just trusted the white pastors who talked to them without questioning. Um, I just want to yeah. say like two things to disrupt. So the, the first mm-hmm. is like, just for our white listeners, you guys need to realize that, that whiteness has been a lens that has affected how you have seen reality. Um, and it, and you bring that with you to your interpretation of scripture. And that doesn't mean, I don't mean by that, that everything you believe is like untrue. A lens doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that it's all lies, but it means you have a particular view of the things that you have seen. And first mm-hmm. of all, just if you've spent your whole life wearing, let's say, red tinted glasses, then there's going to mm-hmm. be some things that you look at and you think that this and that are both the same color when in reality they're different. It's just you got that red tint, so you can't see the distinction. And then somebody Mm -hmm. else comes along, and this is part of what like racial minorities or um, just anyone who's like multicultural, um, there's like various cultural lines, people who have different cultures that they live in and learn to be fluent in, it's like they have multiple shades of glasses that they put on. And so there should be a humility on the part of white people to realize like if that's, if you've just been raised in this one vein You've only seen the world one way and people who have seen it multiple ways can actually give something to you and actually like reveal true stuff that you haven't seen. So just a call for humility there. And then also a second call for humility for, um, for white Christians is to for, just recognize that in the Bible, like the parable of the seeds, when Jesus talks about the seeds, one of the seeds 
fell on, I think it was the rocks, and he talks about how Mm -hmm. the cares of this world, its riches and pleasures chokes it out. Mm -hmm. So he he says Mm -hmm. there's a certain kind of person that's that's that hears the word, receives it with joy initially, but then the desire for wealth and comfort chokes it out. And then you see in Revelation that there are letters that Jesus writes to the seven churches. And five out of those seven letters, Jesus is like coming down on them and threatening that like, if you guys don't start loving, I'm going to pluck, I'm going to like remove your lampstand from its place. I'm going to remove you from even being a part of my church. I'm going to spit you out, he says in one place, he uses the metaphor. And so Jesus is saying to five out of seven of the churches, like you guys are off. And I think sometimes Christians have like a pride that like, because my pastor said it and because I'm in this little holy huddle where yeah. we don't buy into the world's ideology, like we have it right. And and they just kind of have this pride of like assuming um, like I must be right, my people must be right. And everything outside that's different is wrong. Um, but then Jesus is basically, his whole ministry was pushing back against religious people who knew the Bible well, but failed to love. And his, his letters to the churches in Revelation show like, we should expect that the church doesn't always have it right. And we should like have humility. We should be skeptical of wealth. Like we live in the richest country in the world at the richest time in human history. And the Bible is full of warnings about how wealth is deceptive and deceiving and pulls our hearts astray. And the churches in Revelation that, that got the harshest warnings were the wealthy ones. And, uh, and then we don't have the humility to like, to recognize that maybe we are living in the wrong story. And my, mm-hmm. my challenge is like, I think white evangelicalism in a large part is just living in completely the wrong story. And it doesn't even, that's not even an attack. That's like the Bible says that, like, that's like the Bible says that the story of God's kingdom coming is a story of the weak and the poor being elevated up. And then we are just like seeking comfort and using the Bible and p- picking out text and themes that like allow us to protect our comfort and our advantages. Yeah. Well, well, and I want to add a couple of things too, to what you were saying, because mm-hmm. I was thinking about our listeners, um, Garen, and you kind of answered the question. Um, Cause I know a lot of white people are going to be like, okay, so they got this high, mi- high minded, educated, uh, Negro mm-hmm. <laughs> who got a bigger vocabulary and possible more resources. He then came on his podcast and challenged my whole biblical worldview. And, yeah. you know, white people, like, you need to admit that that's where you are. If if you're really struggling mm-hmm. with this podcast and some of the things that Adam has said, that's what you, you need to, like, grapple with that. Because, you know, there's this automatic offense to... Black people who are advocating not only for themselves, but for humanity. Um, and mm-hmm. in America, we have this idea that, you know, we're creating a kingdom in a bubble. Um, we're in a city. You hear this all the time, a city within a city. And that means to take over the city, like that Christians are supposed to divide and conquer. But what Adam is saying, Brother Adam is saying is that you know, he's going into spaces and and he like Jesus, he want like Jesus wants the opportunity to prove himself 
to his opposers. And he does mm-hmm. that through us, his people. Like God has no- nothing to prove, but his people, we have everything to prove and how we fight for the faith. And it's like, you know, when we're dealing with our neighbors, it's like, I want you to be against God because I'm going to press in to show you that he's for you. And mm-hmm. I'm going to show you mm-hmm. that he's for you because I'm going to use my able-bodiedness and all the resources and all the blessing that God has given me and whatever measures they are to prove um, to you that God is real so that, and that God is who mm-hmm. he says he is. And he is, you know, the, 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 the Lord of the scriptures. He is Yeshua. He is salvation. He is provision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to be like, like he sent me to be that, um, to be that example and not to just mm-hmm. create my own kingdom in a bubble. Um, mm-hmm. And so I want well, our sure. white listeners to think about that. Like, I want you to allow your biblical worldview to be challenged um, because we've existed in America, in this young country for a few centuries, and we keep finding ourselves in the same space with, you know, with the same issues. You got to wonder why, if this country is predominantly Christian, supposedly built on a Christian foundation, that we're still dealing with issues of hatred in, in, the, in the country that we think is like, you know, we think that is the most representative of Christianity. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And just, yeah. I think a lot of people just don't realize how America has treated the rest of the world. And so we don't acknowledge kind of our junk and how like as this kind of Christian nation, how like as, as people conceive it, that, that we have not been so, we have not represented Jesus to the world. So just one, one, one example, um, Haiti is the poorest country in the um, Western hemisphere. Um, mm-hmm. Haiti was a former slave colony where the slaves mm-hmm. um, rebelled and gained their freedom. But then mm-hmm. The Western powers, including America, refused to mm-hmm. trade with this newly freed nation yeah. unless those very uh, like newly freed people bought or reimbursed their former slave masters for their freedom that they had had won. Mm-hmm. And so the nation mm-hmm. of Haiti, getting started off like right after this the slave revolt, they they had to pay a giant sum of money. Um, to their former French um, like slave masters, and America was part of enforcing that. And then American banks purchased the debt and refinanced it at higher interest rates. To where at one point, uh, like through the the decades that followed, at one point Haiti was paying eighty percent of its government revenue to to American mm-hmm. banks to service the debt mm-hmm. that they owed us for reimbursing slave masters. And, exactly. and and so then yeah. we look at the nation of Haiti, like that Haiti, we caused that, like America caused mm-hmm. that. Like we could go mm-hmm. through world history and point at other things like different revolutions or we propped up dictators and um, like uh, against democratic people because we have um, wanted oil deals and dictators, you know, mm-hmm. we've made deals in parts of the world where we've said like, okay, we'll prop up this dictator because he'll give us cheaper oil. Like we have right. not been who we pretend to be. Right. And then we we lie about like what we are and what we've been to make ourselves feel good rather than like actually dealing with that junk and like confessing and repenting. And like, I mean, the whole Christian thing is you have the freedom to admit where you have faults and failures because you have 
Jesus says, like, you can be forgiven. There's access to forgiveness, so you don't have to hide your failures. And I think sometimes we just, we, we hide the junk behind a bunch of patriotism rather than actually dealing with it and actually becoming better and actually growing to be like, what would it actually look like for us to just give ourselves away with the abandon that, that Jesus promotes for the lost and hurting and broken in the world? Uh, let me say something up because I think that's very important and I, I think it applies to all people. Um, one of the most powerful realities, this is true and I believe it's true, is 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 8, 9 and following where it says, for we know about the Lord uh, Yeshua, who for our sake he became poor that we might become the riches of God. Now, a lot of people will try to uh, make that passage a very existential, spiritual, like the cross, he died, he resurrected. And I go, nah, you're missing the humanity of what he did. See, the reason why that is such a startling passage to me, and I'm going to tell you this, outside of one person in my entire life, I don't know people who are willing to go from the highest eternal, metaphor or Yeshua, eternal place, and they're willing to empty themselves of all they have, riches. Hmm. Empty them, I'm talking about tangibly. We're not talking about metaphorically and existentially. I'm going to empty myself, and I'm going to live my entire existence from birth to death. I'm not going to have Roman skin, the majority of culture skin. I'm going to take Jewish skin, which is the lowest skin of the Roman culture. I'm not going to come to a prestigious Jewish family. I'm going to go to the low class of the Jewish family. And I'm not just going to go to the low class. I'm going to go to one of the worst cities. Yeah. So he did not just become poor. Yeah. He became, he became the lowest class, and he became tangibly poor. Now, when the rich young ruler, and he tells him to sell all his possessions and all that you have and come follow me, I don't believe the problem was the riches. Yeah. And listen to me. Black, white. Brown, if you're born on this American soil, you're un, you have come, you have been born into the umbrella of humanism and prosperity. The hardest thing, and I've never seen it, the hardest thing is for someone to move down in class when they've tasted the highest. That's what Yeshua did. Mm. That's what I marvel at. And I've never seen, in my life, I've never seen someone who's experienced that reality Lies not change. That's what I saw in Iraq. Amen. Can I've anything never, good I, come out of Nazareth? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah, what, yeah. When, when, people, when people see me show up in these slums and go, like, you're not going to stay in the hotel. Now I'm living with y'all. You're going to eat what we eat? Yeah. I'm going to bathe how you bathe if we bathe. I'm going to go without just how you go without. Y'all, see, y'all, y'all not hearing me. Yeah. The American mindset wants to give out of abundance. That's not the way of Yeshua. Come on. Mm. That's not the way of Yeshua. You cannot give out of abundance and follow Christ. That is not his way. His way is, I ask it to you like this. Anybody listening, I ask to us on this podcast. If right now somebody's life could get changed, if you had to move out of your place and go live in a 500-square-foot space, eat one meal a day, maybe you're a beggar or panhandler, you got to work odds and jobs, you got to live like that the rest of your life. Until you die. 
99% of people won't make that decision. That's why the way is narrow if you find it. Come on, that's I could talk. I could talk. I could talk a lot about white supremacy. I could talk a lot about black, black, pro-black idea. I could talk a lot about that. But at the end of the day, what he said to Nicodemus, unless this comes from above, this revelation, this freedom, mm. you are not going to be able to live it. This is not, this, you can't educate yourself into the way of Yeshua, y'all. That's good. There, listen to me. There is no reason why, why the Lord giving me this frame, why I could have made a millions of dollars. It does not make sense. For me to get to, for me not to use that to have the most comfortable life, it does not make sense unless I see for myself what living like Yeshua does to people's lives. He he says that he says don't store up your wealth here. He goes, well, how do we know that that's true? Because he did it. Because he did it, man. I throw myself under the bus. I'm telling you, when I when I had to walk away from, let's just say that consistent check which yeah. was nice in the evangelical world. It was almost like there was a burden and a conscious in me like of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, call what you want. That literally said, okay, and this is after 17 years, what I'm about to say. Okay, now, Adam, you're going to see if you actually believe this thing. Right. Yeah. Listen to me, y'all. That was the scariest thing. Because I go, it's easy to have faith when I know that the direct deposit's coming. Right. You see how facetiously I'm saying that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But when that, when that stopped, I'm like, oh, snap. Like, do I really follow this? So I, I want people to hear that, that you, you hear from a person who, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a true wrestle. Yeah, yeah. It was a true, like, man, I don't know where I stay. And so now all this that you hear from within coming out that zeal that that has consumed me that enthusiasm that has consumed me it's like a kid realizing that daddy wasn't lying to me they were yeah man mm -hmm. you see what i'm saying oh there there is a carnival over there everybody's telling me it wasn't man that that's what that's what that that enthusiasm i'm like Y'all, is it tough? Yes. Are there times I had to go to my wife like, hey, I don't know where it's coming from, but I would, but but the but the Lord has shown me something when I came back from her. Were there times? Yes. Is it tough? Yes. Are there times where I wrestle with being associated? Yes. The smells of different people. Yes. I can get as deep as you want to with it, and and, and the humanity of the things I had to get past and go over and admit. And but it's like Christ said, throw yourself on that boulder. But if that boulder crushes you on judgment. That's gonna to be too late. So this 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 is this is a real wrestle of compassion, of enthusiasm, of mercy. But I'm telling you, there's no other place I'd rather be. Amen, amen, brother. Um. Well, as I'm picking up my brain off of the floor, <laughs> can you can I want to I want to kind of end this with two things. I want to hear two things from you. One. Yeah. One is, you know, we kind of ask this of all of our guests, but, you know, there's going to be, imagine you're in a room and there's just a, thousands of white people that are yeah. wanting to know more about black history, wanting to do something. Yeah. So I want to hear, one, what would you say to our audience? What, what would be like a charge that you would, you would say to them? And then let us know. Uh, we would love to be able to support your work and what you're doing. So I know you've got to, when this comes out, there'll be a couple months before your book officially releases, but we want to know how we can support you, where people can find you, um, 
and then we'll kind of end the episode there. Yeah. So what I say to uh, Room uh, Whitehead? Um, I will point them to uh, indoctrination. Mm. When you're establishing any country, this is just world truth. I even go back to Alexander the Great. He says the way you control people is look it up. Um, the way you control people is you got to get them medically dependent upon you. You got to give them entertainment to distract them. You got to educate them in the way that you want them to go. And you got to give them some type of an achievement in gold. This is this is Alexander the Great. He was the one that kind of founded these four pillars. And I would just say, ask the question, what has this country done to keep you on the hook? In your mind, in your goals, in your quote-unquote freedom, how are, they, how are they achieved? In the type of people that you that you think you should or shouldn't associate with? I guess, you know, I, was, uh, I would tell them, I said, you know, I was scrolling through Twitter, and, uh, you know, Kanye was trending, but I was, I marveled at this, this ballot of how people were writing in his name. But then I looked at the other name, the other campaign crew that wasn't Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, that wasn't Trump and Mike Pence. And I saw three other groups of people. I go, why don't we talk? Oh, I get it. Because we've been indoctrinated that we're only supposed to pick between these two parties. See, again, we, we get God again. Yeah. And so I would say to them is the only person that I know that is infallible is Adonai. Yeah. Ask questions of the information that's coming across to you. It's not cynicism. It's hum it's humanity. Yeah. I was reading it in it, this this morning. This morning, this is why I tell the group. I was reading this morning in, in Psalms twelve. Peculiar song. It says, people speak with a confidence, but it also says this. They speak with divided hearts. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Mm. It says the nation speak with divided hearts. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah you know what, I'm for you, but on the inside, so I'm for you so I can get this position because I really want to divide the hearts. So that's, that's what I would tell them. And then, you know, for myself, man, yeah, I mean, I have a, I, I, I've always said, like, man, this last book is going to be my last book because uh, there's so much stuff to do out in the world. But uh, this this book is called The Permission to be Black, My mm -hmm. Journey with uh, Jay-Z and Jesus. And I think it's, I think it, I will go on the record and say it is the first book that I wrote that I feel like God gave me a direct revelation of what needs to be said. Mm. I would say it that strongly. I would say it's so, so strongly in this way. It's dealing with um, how I got set free from a lot of the traumas of my generation of the diaspora. Yeah. Um, how black people, how we've created this blackness, that trauma, embracing trauma makes you more black. And so we argue who endured the most trauma. If you don't have trauma, you're not black enough, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so if you grew up with both of your parents, like, you ain't black because you, you ain't had no hard time, right? So we, we I, I talk about that. I also talk about Jay-Z and Lauryn Hill a lot and how these these songs, good or bad, got us through a lot of times because we couldn't process our humanity oh, yeah. in many spaces. Okay. And so a lot of times we had to live, had this dichotomous living of 
you know, Jay-Z or Jesus. Yes. Right? And so we, I really navigate through that. And, and what I'm arguing for in this book is, is the first of its kind of, of black folks to get in touch with their feelings, black folks to go see what I would call kingdom therapists, people who know how to navigate you through your story so you can get redeemed. Uh, I tell stories of, like myself. And I know this may be a podcast part two, what I'm about to say, <laughs> but I do a lot of research and a lot of studies. In there, I'll talk about how there's 1%, there's a 1% of black men. And you said 1% of what? 1% of the, of the American population, black men like myself, who come out of adverse circumstances like Detroit, broken homes, who then graduate high school, who then get a bachelor's degree, who then can go and get masters, have a family, doctoral studies, and try to do some redemptive, make over 40000 all these things. I go, when you take in that much of a reality, there's only 1% of us around. And so when people use the term like magic Negro, I go, yeah, that is magic in a human standpoint, but it's a miracle. When you Come see on. them, you should say thank you. You should say thank you. You should say, you should, you should marvel. No, we not common. No. And, and there's literally a section called the, to the 1%. And the 1% black male, he's not going to tell you that I need love. But I'm telling you, as a black male, I need love. I need people to say thank you. I need it for my black woman. I need it for my, my black wife. I need it for my black kids. I need it from my black sisters. I need it from you, Katina. And, and, right. and we've been conditioned not to admit that. Yeah. And that's why we're dying. That's why we're losing our mind. That's why we're going to prison. When it's one in three black men are going to prison, you got 66%. Then it's 1.5 million that's not accounted for, wipe them off. Then you got another percent that's going to get killed either, either by the hands of cops or by the hands of their own. Yeah. yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So we ain't even got the education and we down to 3.5% of black males that exist. Now you start putting all this it's a lonely road. Man. So I would say, like, man, y'all need to tell people about this book because for the first time, black men are moving towards extinct. It is the first time that the, the, the census, it's going down. It used to be going up. It's going down. Yeah. Man, so that's, that's, what that, that's what that book is talking about. That's heavy. Thank you, man. Like, I have three, yeah. I'm, 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 my husband, my three black sons, and how we're navigating life and, and their trauma and just how all of this has hit them. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm seeing my sons and I'm seeing myself and like everything that you said is so real. Um, man, I just, I thank you. I'm, I, I thank you, brother. Oh, thank y'all. Thank y'all. I appreciate y'all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Black History for White People. If you're looking for more information on what we discussed, take a look at the show notes or go to blackhistoryforwhitepeople.com. If you'd like to play a supportive role in the podcast and be able to vote for future topics and listen to full interviews, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com backslash blackhistoryforwhitepeople. Remember that all of the money you give in the first 10 episodes will go to the Denton African American Scholarship Foundation. We are going to be doing an interview later with the founder, so be on the look out for that. On our next episode, we will be covering the Black Panthers. We'll leave you with this quote from Claudette Colvin. I knew then and I know now that when it comes to justice, there's no easy way to get it. You can't sugarcoat it. You have to take a stand and say, this is not right. Mm-hmm.